Well, um, welcome back, I guess. Yeah. What do you mean you guess? You don't like my company now? Sometimes. Yeah, well, you know, I'm not as cute as your wife. <laughs> that, is, that is very true. Oh. So. All right, so. <laughs> that <What>? got weird. <laughs> <laughs> weird fast. Weird right off the bat. Hold on. Let's go as weird as we can, as fast as we can. <laughs> and we'll hit that just like a ditch. <laughs> uh, oh, man. So I was, uh, you know, we just recently were out ice fishing. Right. Um, and we were looking through regs, looking at. Uh, you know, bag limits and how many lines you can have in the water and all this stuff. And we start talking about tip-ups, which are, you know, unmanned fishing things. Right, so essentially it's like a, it's like an extra, because you're allowed two poles per yep. legal definition. Yep. And so it's like it provides you, you're not directly sitting on it, but you're close enough to it. Yeah. It does its own thing on the side. It's potentially catching you an extra fish. Yes. And you don't have to be standing over it looking at it. Right? Right. So, we were talking about where to put them, where we'd locate them from where we're fishing. Right, and you got to be so the so you're so it's kind of like the ethics of. I, I guess you could actually back that up. It's like so like when we went out on the ice, and we weren't the first guys out here. We were nope. the, the, the there's other guys out on here. Guy with his couple of kids. His wife actually left him at the. Did you see that? She took off with the truck. Yeah, the wife left him there, and we the, we walked out. With them pretty, right, yeah, pretty so close, it, yeah. but uh, they were over on another part of the lake where we were over on another part of the lake. Right, and, you know, I, I wish them the best of luck, obviously. Yeah. And I would actually rather, in that moment, give up. I think you did. You yeah. even did. We're telling them, man, I'd rather your kids catch something than we catch something. So I hope they did. And yeah, I, I, hope they I, did. I do wish them the best because that's but, the next generation. So but. what it got me thinking of is what we're, we're, we're talking about how far out can we put our tip-ups and all that kind of stuff. and. You know, granted, there is a regulation that says in a reasonable distance, but what's the ethics, the ethical part of, you know, if, if we're as outdoorsmen, as fishermen, hunters, uh, guys that just really what's ethical? thrive there, what is the ethics behind what we're doing? As far as, like, are you talking about, like, so, grander, well, like, just, like, hunting and fishing, or are you talking about, like, the ethics of, like, for example, how far away you need to be? Like, well, ethically? In that, so, in that, is it, and my, my first question was, is that ethics? an ethical situation or is that sportsmanship and like where so it I look at it like okay it, it, an ethical situation would be I caught my limit and then all of a sudden I got another bow that hit before I could pull that line up I see that ethically do you just keep that or you, ha- or you have okay you have you know in your in your bucket over there you have four fish you're allowed five mm-hmm. and you pull up a you you got yeah three medium sized fish, mm-hmm. and you pull up a whopper. Do you put the little one back and keep the big one? For me, no. Right. It's, it's so a very simple. Very simple. And that's more of a, I see what you mean by an ethical. That's an ethical decision in the sense that, for me, where I come from, is I go if I took an animal, I took it fair and square. Yeah. And so for me, I just kind of go. It, it's the. It's the what is the so by taking the animal out of the water, like we're using the fish for example. If I take that fish out of the water and I intend to retain it, mm-hmm. by changing my mind, I've now damaged that potentially damaged that fish to the point where they can't. Because if, like you, if you if you decrease I, the slime on the, the fish slime or scales on those fish, the chances drop dramatically of that fish surviving. Right. So therefore, if it hits the ice, because we're ice fishing, um, if it hits the ice, you are. Decreasing the amount of slime on that fish, so once you put it back in the water, technically, you have 
created a a opportunity for that a higher chance that fish is gonna to, correct to 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 not survive. So like, but there's other things that come in when we talk about outdoors, just in general. There's the ethics of how like taking a shot. Mm. You know, and so I, I look at that and I kind of go. Sometimes I think ethics can change based on your person, based on knowledge you have. Okay. So like today, my ethics may say that I wouldn't, I wouldn't if I have if I've handled the fish too much trying to get the hook out that I would just keep the fish, right? Yeah. But if we find out later in ten years, the research shows that that doesn't really change anything. Okay. Then that might change my, my ethical standards in terms of I wouldn't mind it as much because research has shown that it doesn't change the survivability and outcome for that animal. So what I'm saying is that I, I see ethics as a little bit of a moving target in the sense that what was ethical 20 years ago yeah. may or may not be ethical today. Or what we might have said, no way, 20 years ago, we might you know, sit there and go, no, I'm not going to do well, that. Well, I think that... we've gotten smarter. Yeah. We've gotten more information. No, Agreed. But I think there's still the base... The, that, that base level of your eth- what is an ethical decision for you. Ethics is a... Because I look at ethics as not necessarily the rule, the law. No, it's not the letter of the law. It's the spirit, if you will. Uh, because there's like... Okay. A, like, so, like, so, like, for example, you could say, well, the, the the laws are put in place such that the really successful guys don't take all the fish out of, this, out of a lake and t- or take all the bears off of a mountain or whatever it is. Okay. And so the ethics behind it say you want to leave a little something for the next generation. Even though, like, for example, in the state of Alaska, you're allowed three bears. Yeah. I guarantee you, if you go out to Pat's stand and you took three bears off of it in one season, yeah, he'd be happy for you. But if you did that year after year after year mm-hmm. and didn't, like, leave any behind, so to yeah. speak, for the next hunter, he'd get a little uptight with you. Okay. Well. And I would, too. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not disagreeing with it. But what I'm saying is is that it's, uh, it's a little, it's, in a lot of ways, it's, yes, I can do something legally. But is it necessarily the right thing to do? Mm, yes. I think that's really where ethics boils down to. Is it the right thing to yeah. do? Yeah. And I, because I've I've seen guys who, you know, you're you're out there the last day of the hunt, you know, packing your stuff up, season's over, and they come out of the the woods with an animal on their quad, and you kind of look at them, and they just you know, pack up and go. Well, it's only a day after, or they make up some, you know half-hearted attempt to cover it up. And you're just like, okay. <sighs> I don't know. I just, well, I, I wasn't out where I could see my phone or or I didn't know what day it was or all those kind of things. And you're like, well, I feel like that's a very unethical way of going about it. I feel... The, so ethics. Doing the right thing when nobody's around. Well, it's also what defines character. Mm. You know what I mean? So it's also a character issue. Very true. Like, do you... If nobody's there, you're out in the middle of nowhere, and you take that that animal... Well, like, you, we were talking... This has been a while ago. We were talking about the the level of poaching of animals up here is mm-hmm. not the same as it is in lower 48. Mm. I mean, if you shoot a moose, people know you got a moose. I don't care. I mean, you know, for the most part. For the most part. It's kind of hard to hide a bloody moose. Yeah. To hide a black-tailed deer? True. Eh. I could hide that in the back of my pickup, and nobody would know to be the wiser. That's true. A moose has <laughs> got some size. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's that back to doing the right thing if you're a day out of season. I mean, 
for example, I remember one time back at Lower 48, we had the fur tag, mm-hmm. and I saw a couple of does, and I passed on the shot. The doe season opened on Saturday morning. This was Friday night when I was mm-hmm. hunting after school. And I remember one of the neighbors said, well, you should have shot it anyways. Yeah. That's kind of an ethical decision because, I mean, really, yes. the next day we went out and got two does anyways. It wasn't a big deal. Exactly. Not like but, you were detrimenting the population. No. I mean, we would just notch the tag yeah. for the next day, so to speak. It would be the theory. But it's like that's that whole of it was the ethical thing to do of saying, no, it's really not an open season. I would have never been caught. Yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, it really could have gone just like that. Yeah. Yep. And there's a lot of places in Alaska where you come out hunting with – or where you go to hunt and there's no cell reception, there's no nothing. It is your responsibility to know what day it is and where you're at. Right. And what you're doing. Like, right. That's – the troopers will tell you it's not our responsibility to interpret or make sure you understand what it is. It's our responsibility to enforce. Right. They're not teaching, you know, out there – you know, they're, <laughs> they're setting up classrooms saying, here's how you do it. They're um, out there making money. Yeah, well, state. Keeping our livestock. Yeah. Not, yeah. Li- not livestock, but uh, wildlife, wildlife ready for safe. us. Safe. Yeah. But, um, but like, for example, what are the, so, so would you argue like ethically? Okay. Like, so take, for example, dip netting. Okay. okay? And we were out, we were out ice fishing and mm-hmm. we we're talking about this. Like how close do you set up to the next guy? It's kind mm-hmm. of an ethics thought because in theory, According to the state of Alaska, I could set up right next to, like, I could put our tents touching each other. True. That's 100% legal. Yep. Although ethically, really not where we want to be at. Yeah. Because everybody, I mean, we all came out here for more than likely the same thing. We want to be, we want to have a good time. We want to do our thing. Yeah. But. Uh, I've talked to friends that went out. He was out with his daughter. I think he had a Klutna or somewhere around there. And wanted to get his daughter fishing and on some fish. And they found this nice little spot. Had a great little area to fish, and some guy comes in and stands right next to him and starts casting the exact same spot. It's like, at what point? And there's a little bit of the combat thing that goes into it. Like, if you're going to the Kenai, you know, at the confluence of the Russian River and the Kenai River. <coughs> Where everybody and their brother is at already. You can't expect not to have somebody four foot from you. Right, but like, for example, when you're dip netting, it's shoulder to shoulder. Literally. Mm-hmm. And how... And if you're smart, you talk to your neighbor and you get to where you actually set up like a little like net kind of thing where there's two or three kind of in a line and then you start figuring out where the fish are at and you start hitting on them. Yeah. But my wife and I do that all the time. People are like, how do you guys look so successful? Well, part of it is is we work as a team. So it's really just two nets, but it's yeah. one team. Yep. <clears throat> However, you know, like for example, we're out there ice fishing and there's nobody. I mean, there's what, four other guys out here? Mm-hmm. So how do you divide up the lake? I mean, like when I walk out there, I kind of go, okay. They kind of have that area, and I give them a, at least a solid... Well, when we went out there, the there there was another tent right there. Where are they? The, the guys that were, uh, what, to the... Kind of the west of where west we wanted to be. At. Yeah. They were setting right where I wanted to be. Okay. They were when I saw them, I, when I saw that tent there, I'm like, they they, they are on the spot. In my in my mind, when I did all the research and the looking at the topo maps and the where the... the the way the lake moves, that's the spot you want to be. They have the honey hole. Right? So, I could have, in theory, gone right over right next to them. Now, they did have some holes drilled outside their little tent. Well, they had their pop-ups going and yeah, all the stuff. Yeah. But, yeah, we came off a little farther than where I think we was the, the, the best spot. You know, we got some fish, but it wasn't like a fantastic limiting day. But, 
on the same token, what's the what's the ethical thing to do? I think if you can hear your neighbor talk, like you can hear some mumbles in the background, you're probably fine, particularly if they're outside their tent or you're outside yeah. the tent. However, if you're both in your tent, you guys sh- shouldn't be hearing each other. True. Because in theory, you know, you get this little thing muffling everything. Right? A little barrier device. Yeah. So. But. All right. What about shot? I, when I think ethics, the biggest, okay, most like people, yeah, most people, not not alcohol. <laughs> huh, huh, huh. Uh, most most people can that, be a good white everything we right. <laughs> most people of everything we've talked about so far will go, yeah, yeah, no, I'm yeah, yeah, Mike, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then you pull the, where is it ethically not okay to take a shot? Ooh. So there's a lot of factors that go into that. So the ethics to me of a shot start with the conditions that you're in. Okay. So, for example, if I'm on a place where I've got a good rest, mm-hmm. is different than I'm standing in the middle of a wide open field or, you know what I mean? Like, if I can get, like, a solid rest, okay, that extends ethically how far I'm willing to go. Not, like... So here's the thing. So, like, for example, I know that I can take an offhanded shot to 200 yards and be fairly confident, right? Sure. I know at 400 yards with a rest, I'm, I'm confident out there. My point is, is is that as you start eliminating the variables, you start being more and more confident. If it's a blustery day, like it's blowing back and forth, mm-hmm. my ethically for me, my shot has, d- has decreased. Mm-hmm. The other thing that boils down to that is what I'm shooting with. Hmm. So, true. so obviously, it's really easy to go, oh, pistols, right? Well, true. Pistols don't shoot as far. But even down to, so I'm a hand loader. Yep. So it's what I love to do. Yeah. For me, it also comes down to just even what I have in my firearm at that time. Yeah. Because, for example, I know that with my 300 win, if I have certain rounds in there, mm-hmm. I know it's not the same as other rounds. Like, it's just the mushrooming and how fast they mushroom and those factors to me. Sure. Because if I know I'm going to impart more energy into that animal, I'm more likely to kill it. Cleanly. True. So, for me, it's like... So, there's, so for me to take a... So, you say the ethics of taking the shot. It's not just a... Oh, gee, I can... I know I can take a 250-yard shot. No problem. Bang, down goes the animal. For me, there's more that goes into it than just a 250-yard shot. It's a... Okay, I've got a rest. Or maybe I'm laying on the ground. What's the animal doing? Is it running? Well, I have to be a lot closer now. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, again, so like shot and shot placement and things like that start shrinking. The one that concerns me the most is when you start getting down to smaller and smaller windows. So if you think about it in terms of... When you say window. Window of opportunity. Okay. So like like when guys are throwing football, mm-hmm. okay, the, they talk about the window to get the ball where the receiver's at. Yes. So that, 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 you're that, talking that. about an animal walking through some trees or some shrubs right. or some whatever. Or like my window of opportunity is... It also, when it comes to shooting, is also a matter of, well, you know, it's out there however many yards. Yeah. And we're out there on the open tundra, and I don't have shooting sticks, or I do have shooting sticks. Yeah. How big is the animal? So as you start shrinking and narrowing those things with the wind, with the terrain, it starts really changing it. Um, so, for example, if the animal's on the move and has seen me for some reason, I'm going to more likely let that animal go than uh, if they've seen me and they're just kind of staring at me. Mm. Because now I can kind of have some time to dope the scope so to speak and mm-hmm. think about okay my I need to put my bullet here it's probably going to land here and I'm waiting for that shot it's kind of like the the ethics of bear baiting 
kind of come into this shot placement thing because you can wait for that time. So, it, mm. so there's a lot of ethics that come in for me when you say taking the shot. That's a that's a nebulous answer. Like I don't know that you can ever really wrap I me mean, to to really say it was an ethical shot. I mean, obviously, if you have a one shot, one kill, and the animal drops right where is that? Well, it was an ethical shot. Where, how far out? In in your mind, if you were, if distance wasn't an issue for you, okay, you could hit a paper plate at 500 yards. Okay. No, 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 not 500. 5,000 yards is what I was trying to say. Okay. <laughs> like that, the distance doesn't is, matter. Is irrelevant. Yeah. Where is it too far? At what point is it too far on an animal? So for me, mm-hmm. part of that comes down to I would have to look at the bullets I'm shooting with. Again, I, I mean, maybe not bullet, but caliber I'm shooting with. So for example, the effective distance of a 300 wind mag is going to be fundamentally different than that of, say, a 6.5 Creedmoor. True. Just the downrange energy. So it's yeah. an energy issue for me. So because if, I'm, if I know I need somewhere around 1,500 foot-pounds, to a, which is a 44 mag, yeah. to routinely and effectively take an animal, mm-hmm. plus or minus, and I, if that's my number, then I need to know how far out that bullet carries that much energy. Okay. Good. Because, because then, because if you start getting into the, so if you say, well, but we're going faster, but we're having less bullet weight, all that stuff, but it all comes down to energy on the animal. If I take a, a straw and throw it at you, even though we're sitting just a couple feet apart, it's not going to hurt you, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But if I shoot you with a twenty-two, it can kill you if I hit you in the right spot. Yeah. If I shoot you with a large, you know what I mean? It's all about no, energy yeah. imparted on that animal. But is there, is there a point where if, if you take all that out of there, that the distance, the time that that bullet is going to take to travel the distance is going to cause a, uh, potentially cause a problem with the animal movement? You're hit. You're shooting at a target that has a mind of its own that is is moving. Like okay, well, even if they're is moving, even if they're standing still when you're looking at them, so that grazing. animal potentially has the the opportunity to take a step at any second. So three thousand. So you figure your average odds six three hundred wind mag. I'll just go to that because I know those numbers off the top of my head. Sure. They run up a little over. We'll call it three thousand because I'm a nurse and I don't do math very sure. well. Sure. Yep. So three thousand feet per second. Okay. One one thousand. That's a second. You know yeah. what I mean? You just kind of figure it one one thousand. The chances of it moving outside a pie plate range, you have to say how far out. You can go three thousand feet, which is essentially a thousand yards. Okay. So, I would argue that anything under that, you're golden. Because a second, unless it's already on the move, mm-hmm. for that animal to go from a true like grazing or resting, if you will, state, to a true movement state. Yeah. It's going to take more than one second. Okay. And the speed of the bullet is faster than the speed of sound. So when you're reaching out to 3,000 yard, No, 3,000 feet. So 1,000 uh, yards. I know. When you're pushing out towards that, you know, to... So anything over 1,000 yards, you're saying is... It's more than a second. Yeah. Because hmm. even... So if you take a 500 yard shot, right? It takes a half a second for that bullet to travel from your rifle. Yeah. Or let's, let's break it down. 300 yard shot, right? That's a third of a second. So, at a thousand yards, which and I've talked to guys that are like, "Oh, easy, thousand yard, no problem." Better I, man I, than I, but like, at what point do you do? Is that <laughs> is there too many variables to that to say that is a good ethical shot? Again, for me, it depends upon where you're at, what's going on with the uh, what's around you. So for you're, ex- you're on the tundra, 
you have a nice little four-wheeler to mount off of. You got animals at a thousand yards that are just, you know, at the moment they're standing in one spot grazing. Would you take a thousand-yard shot? No, a I'm not that good with it with a rifle. So for me, that's just out of the realm of possibility. But two, for me, I also go. There's a piece of this that goes. I'd want to get the stock on to get closer. Yeah, I, I I'm in the same boat of there's so many potentially variables that you just cannot see. Right, and I would say you can have a thermal that comes up a little valley because I mean right. if you're talking tundra, there's <laughs> hills and valleys in this. You get a thermal that comes up that throws something you can't see. The animal could take a step in the wrong direction because those things, you know, if you're always happens to me. They're just they're animals. They're gonna move. They they do stuff. Something rolls on your 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 platform and you have a little shift. There's so many things that could go. I prefer under 500. I would prefer under 250. I'm in agreement with you on that. I think that. I want to get... I'm not super comfortable at the 3,000 yard right now. 3,300. <laughs> yeah, zero makes a difference there. Yeah, yeah. not super comfortable at 3,000. I'm working on it. <laughs> I'm not trying to say I'm a good yeah. shot, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that 300 yard range is kind of where I... So, just back up just a second, right? Yeah, let's back it up. So, 3,000 yards, right? I mean, just to throw your number out there. Mm-hmm. So, 5,280 feet in a mile, right? So double that. We'll call that ten thousand five hundred for easy math, right? Mm-hmm. Three thousand yards is nine thousand feet. So you're talking almost a two mile shot. Oh yeah, I know. That's a long way. <laughs> uh, so zero makes a difference. Yeah, Anyways, we digress. <laughs> uh, yeah, three hundred yards. Three hundred yards. Three hundred yards. I mean, nine hundred feet. Yeah, that's that's not a short shot when you're talking about an animal. No, but it's not. I feel like. You start getting beyond that, and I have to start asking, can you get closer? Now, I feel like there are times where you sh- you should be comfortable after 300 yards. I, I think, think on the range you should be comfortable up to five. So take whatever it is and just about double it. I'm, I'm talking you know, when you're when you're looking at an animal. Right, but I'm like saying... Between three and four, you should be, okay, I sh- need to be able to get closer between three and four. You should be able to. Yeah. And if I can't, then maybe that's not the animal that I should be... Focused on. Focused on. I won't disagree with that. That's a, a solid number, like a general rule of thumb. And I'm with you that you start getting some of these ridiculous numbers and you kind of go, now sometimes when you can't close the gap, and I just look at that and I kind of go, the terrain has bested you. Mm. If you're out goat sheep hunting, some of those places, it can be a 600-yard shot physically across the canyon. Yeah. But to get there it takes another day's hike. You know? uh, yeah. And so I say, man, that also brings up another, another point to this whole ethical thing when you're taking talking about shot can you actually get to the animal that you're going to shoot right i think that's part of the that is part of it if you can't successfully recover the animal and and what i'm and what i'm saying is is that you reasonably any other person would say yeah you could probably recover that animal because there's going to be times when you go ah it's borderline Mm -hmm. yeah i I should be able to if you could say i should be able to i'm comfortable with it yeah if you look at it and you shoot first and then ask questions later yeah yeah Absolutely, especially when you're talking about sheep, because you get up into these some of these areas and they get in these little spots where you're just not gonna go. Well, look at the goats above my house. Mm-hmm. I mean, above my house, there's that big rock face. Yeah, I don't know. It's probably a mile away. Yeah, uh, probably a quarter mile as the bird flies. But yeah, it's behind the house, and we can glass sheep up all spring and summer. It seems like. Yeah. And part of that is, is you know, I get to, I love to you know glass me some sheep, but. Part of that is, is if you had that, if you had that tag in your pocket and you walked up there, 
you wouldn't be able to take that shot because some of those ledges where they're hanging out on, there's no physical way for a human being without like rope gear and like rappelling yeah. in. I mean, I suppose if you wanted to go that well, distance. I, I think of like well, you're talking about shooting across a, an open like a valley or something. Right. You have. I mean, if you don't know what's in between you and that animal, and you down an animal, you're that's wanton waste. That's yeah. If you can't recover it. Mm-hmm. So why'd you take the shot? That's well, good because I could. Right. It was in my range. Right. Uh, <laughs> just because you can reach out and touch something at you know, 600 yards doesn't mean you should. Right. I think a lot of people miss that. I, I do, too. I think people get caught up on ballistics. They get caught up on how far you can shoot, all those kind of things, and you're missing the the point of the sportsman side the of The sportsman side of this, and that we are stewards of these animals, and this is our responsibility to, to not just ethically do this, but, I mean, we're called to take care of the animals. You know, that's <laughs> something, and, yes, you could argue, well, you're shooting them. Well, no, we're... Well, yeah, there we're is managing the, these animals, not just one animal. We're managing the greater but, population of. But you don't randomly go out there and just cap an animal to cap an animal. Exactly. You don't just randomly go out there and do something. You kill something with the intent of either it's harming you, it's harming something, somehow it's making your life more miserable, rats, rodents, <laughs> right? Right. Or it's trying to kill you, or you're trying to put food on the table. Mm-hmm. To just randomly go out here and, like, say, kill a raven. Mm-hmm. I think of... Personally, I don't want to eat a raven, so there's no good reason for me to go shoot a raven. Uh, I mean, so they're a trash bird. Guess what? I just don't... I mean, I don't want to go kill them. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's legal in this state. I don't know. I'll never look that one up. But you get my point. I'm yeah. sure... It, yeah, yeah. Well, let's take for the moment, let's just say it is. If it is, if I'm not going to eat it, well, why? Why am I going to go out and right. do this? Unless there's you know, one of the reasons you put forth before. Right. Well, and it, to me, it's like you have to have, you can't just randomly be doing things in life. It, I think it's kind of it comes back to a life thing. How are you when people aren't watching? That's really mm-hmm. what defines ethics. That's what defines your character. Yeah. And we talk about, you know, trying to raise our kids in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, moral, ethical people that do the right thing and have people of character. So people don't worry that you're at the church by yourself or that you're the guy left behind with the millions of dollars sitting in the bank vault that. They, everybody knows that you're not that guy that's going to touch any of it, even though you could. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's it's an extreme example, but character and ethics st- start with little things and extend to big things. True. Now, so it's 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 the question of a, here. Here's here's one of those ethical ones that I've heard conversations and when I say conversations, it's more arguments. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Friendly catch, catch and release versus keeping the fish you, you catch. So, okay, so on that, interestingly <laughs> enough, no, no, no. Ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey. catch, catch and release. So, uh, interestingly enough, in the state of Washington, yeah. so if you are a catch and release fisherman, say there's a five fish limit. Okay. It's like when we're out on the ice, you, you took a fish and threw it in the bucket, life went on. Okay? Yeah. That's part of your limit. Yeah. One of the fish that I caught, I caught the first fish of the day. Yeah. It was a little dank, six-inch Whatever. Let them grow. Let them grow, right? We threw it back. Mm-hmm. In the state of Washington, Illegal? that's one. Even if you throw it back. Even if you throw it back, that's one. Ah. How would you record that? You don't. There is no recording. It's a, it's an ethical, like, because but it's, it's a, a law. A, it is the law. How do you, but how do you enforce that? 
So in theory, if if say for example we were out fishing and the and they watched us do it, they could enforce okay. it. Okay. Yeah. Well. Yeah. But but it but is. But you can't watch everybody. No, and they don't. But it, it's an ethical question that they actually say. So is it? So if it's the law that say while we're out there ice fishing that I took that one and threw it back, and that technically counts as one. Now, you go on and catch five more fish, and life goes on, and nobody be the wiser. Nobody cares. We're, in, we're inside a little hut. Yeah. Nobody saw inside. Nobody that. had any clue. It's, it's just us, right? <laughs> Other than the podcast, and they could use that as right? blah, blah, blah. But anyways, but in the state of Washington, they would say that's one. That's an ethical dilemma. That's mm. the, so because now it comes to the letter of the law says, however, nobody's going to find out. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, that that's pretty uh, perfect on there. But... So that's one side because that's the the legal side of it. But is it ethical to catch go out there and catch a rainbow trout in a creek and put it back? Depending upon how you handled it. So assuming let's, let's assume you handled it perfectly, okay, and you released it, and I was like a good clean, like like take out all those it was in the gills or any of that kind of crap, right? Mm-hmm. So it's good and it's clean. Sure. The studies I have read say that they have a fairly high chance of. Of survivability after that event. Sure. Okay. So, granted, you're not, you know, taking into that you're not uh, decreasing the fish slime or yeah, you, pulling you've scales done it. You've or, done it like in a really solid quality manner. Sure. I look at that and I kind of go, eh. I say fish catch and release if that's what you're into. I'm okay with it. Okay. But if you're solely like a catch and release fisherman, like that's literally all you do. And I knew a guy that I used to work in an ER with. Mm-hmm. He was one of the docs. He was a Seventh-day Adventist. Okay. Now, Seventh-day Adventist trout are 100% kosher, so they can eat them. Sure. But most of the Seventh-day Adventists, the true, like I would call them the diehards, if you will. Okay. They really are sold out for that particular branch of Christianity. Yeah. Most of them are actually a vegetarian. Sure. Yeah. And so... So they just don't. They just don't. Yeah. So they literally hunt and fish, or they literally fish just for the sole purpose of fishing. Okay. So, 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 so in their case, so I, take, I feel, the South, take the Seventh-day Adventist guy yep. that's out there fishing. Yep. He's a vegetarian. Yep. He's not going to eat this thing. Sure. Should he be out there fishing? Because, mm. like, you and I, we're, look, if it's just because it's not big enough or whatever, we throw it back to let it grow, okay. Mm. Versus we're the kind of, you know, we'll eat that thing. Like, if we catch something. But what's the difference? At that point, because the one we put back the other day. Sure. What's the difference between that and your friend in the ER? Yeah, we we, we pulled him out and we said, oh, let's let him grow. We'll right. come back and catch him another day when he's bigger. Right. What's the difference? Really, there isn't much difference other than the mindset that you – I mean, you are always, when you're fishing, going to come up with the small ones that you have that decision to make on. Sure. Now, I think that's part of the reason why they – But if you're, if you're solely going, well, the mindset of I want to catch a fish and keep it at some point. Right. That's purely a personal mindset. Right. Because his mindset is, I enjoy fishing. I'm not hurting these fish. Right. Other than running a steel hook through their jaw. See, and there's another side of this this ethical thing with fishing is... Right. If you're catch and release and you just put something, you know, a steel hook through their jaw. Yeah. Right? Uh, So, here's the thing. They claim that fish don't really feel the hook, I've heard. I find that hard to believe. I really do. Yeah. They seem to have sensitive mouths. They can tell the difference between the bait versus the steel of my yeah. hook. I I look at this and I kind of go, for me, 
if I'm not looking to get something out of it, whether I put food in my freezer, why? Okay. It's the same kind of thing. Yeah. So it's the same kind of thing of the raven. I yeah. mean, I'm not going to go eat a raven. Yeah. I don't go fishing for shark. I would. Well, but I'm not going to eat it. I would. Well, okay, but you're, but you're willing to eat a shark. I'm just not that interested in it. Because I've heard, uh, I want salmon shark. I've talked to a person, no, okay. they say. It's the best. Mixed tuna fish kind of-ish with okay. with pork chop consistency. Hmm. Ah. Right. Okay. <laughs> you could interest me on that. Yeah. But my point is, is before this moment in time, I, had, <laughs> I really had zero interest in sharks. You know what I mean? Like, it just, meh. Yeah. Yep. Oh, I hear you. I understand. <laughs> but, like, you could even argue, like, the guys out of, like, Florida. Yeah. They go after some of those uh, sailfish and things like that that you just can't eat. Can't eat sailfish? Well, I don't know if it's sailfish, but some of those fish. Like that, the marlins and those things? Yeah. I don't know. I didn't know that. I always thought you ate marlin. I always wanted to go after marlin, but I thought you ate it. I'm like, man, that'd be a big fish for my freezer. Some of those I don't think you eat. I don't know. I really don't. I've heard a lot of argument between gear you use fishing. Like, if you're going to go out fishing for rainbows, you better have barbless hook. Mm-hmm. Because if you have a barbed hook, that's an unethical way to, to to fish for rainbow. I've always liked to run barbed hooks only because inevitably I'll get hooked. You could ask Gre- our buddy Gretchen about how that yeah. hurts. <laughs> you mean barbless hooks? Yeah, I run barbless, right? Because, yeah. yeah, you can ask her about the barbed hooks. Yep. <laughs> and how much they so. hurt in her shoulder. I don't know. <laughs> she yeah. still complains about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, six months ago. She complains about a lot. <laughs> She's one of those that's... She'll, I wouldn't say complain. She tells the story a yeah. lot. Yeah, yeah, That's a does. better way to... That's, yeah. I don't want to make her sound like a whiny, complaining person. No, no, she's no, really she, not. No, no, she's not. She's actually... But she really enjoys to retell the stories. <laughs> Especially when they... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, when I'm out with my kids, when I'm out with my daughter... I run a barbed hook. If we're going out for salmon, I run a barbed hook. Mostly because with a barbless hook, there's more finesse that goes into it. Right? You have to understand where this fish is moving and how it's moving and what it's doing. And when to reel, when not to reel. And for her, I want her to, A, enjoy what she's doing. Catching a fish. It's catching for kids. And two, I want her to understand that we're not just catching to catch fish and throw them back. That there's something to this. There's a responsibility that goes along with fishing. And we're going to take this fish and we're going to go eat it. Yum. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yum. So, yeah. Ethics and and fishing. (laughs) You know, the whole fish don't feel pain thing. I feel like... I, I don't know. I need to do a little more research on that, but I have to disagree with it 100. percent It's people making themselves feel good about stuff. No, I, I would I would agree with that. Cool. I feel like so when it comes to fish, they have these things called lateral lines. That's how these mm-hmm. fish are able to sense, sense the, everything. Yep, and so it's so much more I would say sensitive than what we have. Yeah, and so with their brains, they would have to. I mean, because when you watch the way they bite, in fact, they can tell the difference between something soft and something hard like a hook because mm-hmm. you watch a fish it'll sometimes gum your yeah your bait testing yep and they're testing it that tells me that there has to be some kind of sense in there yeah so they have to be able to feel that so with that comes pain but i also believe that we put our sense of pain into animals uh, 
won't disagree with that either. So when we say pain, we think a very specific thing. Mm-hmm. And that's how, as humans, we understand and deal with the emotional side of pain. Right. There's an emotional side that they don't have. Yeah. Now, do they feel the pain as an ouch, that hurts? I've watched a dog who had a broken leg come limping up to somebody, wagging their tail, and all excited to see them to get pet. True. Did that dog feel pain? Probably. Right. He wasn't walking on his leg. He knew there was something wrong with it. Now, is that dog like, oh, my gosh, my leg is broken? No. Right. He's thinking something. Oh, there's there's people. I'm going to come over and wag my tail and get my ears scratched and you know all this stuff. So, so when we put these parameters on animals, animals, so you look at this fish, you say, this fish bit into this hook, and oh my gosh, I, shooting pain goes through my body and through my lip, and oh my gosh, I just got hooked, and I'm panicking and freaking out. Because that's what we do. Right. Versus their natural instinct is to thrash because they would do that if they bit into something. Bit into anything that way. It's not because this is a hook. Right. You know? Uh, uh, So I think that the. Do fish feel pain? Yes. Do they interpret pain the way we do? No. Because you'll watch fish swimming upstream, salmon swimming upstream with giant gashes in the side of them because they swam into a prop out in the middle of nowhere. Right. Or a sea lion bit, right? you know, big sea lion bite sure. coming across their back. And they're still just, they're going. They're, my job is to do this. My, everything in right. me says I'm going there. It's not a conscious decision on them to say, you know what? I got a bad bite, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going. <sighs> yeah, I won't I, say that they don't have maybe more. I mean, pain is pain. I don't think anybody or any animal likes it. No. But I don't think they interpret the same way we do. No. I truly don't think so. Um, I think God made us as man, uh, mankind, very specific, very unique, made him his image, and that is something very unique to mankind. Yeah. And I think that really comes down to, you know, post-fall of man, post-Adam and Eve. All that. The pain that they didn't feel before that. Um I, I really think that's part of it. And we just put that on animals. Yeah, I won't disagree. Because we don't know anything different than that. True. So, but, yeah. Ethics well, ethics is, a, a, a in many ways, nebulous. It really is. Is it ethical to dip net? Hmm. It's really not sporting. I'll grant you that. Hmm. True. But it is a good way to put lots of meat in your freezer very quickly. True. I, I believe when it comes to ethics, are you doing A, is it legal? Yeah, it B, has to is be it, legal. Is right. it the right thing to do even if it is or is not legal? Right. Um, and <sighs> am I doing whatever this is in the – because if, if you all of a sudden heard them saying for dip netting, just take dip netting for an example, and you say – and you start hearing people say, you know <sighs> – if we keep deep netting like this, and this is something that we've always done and we've done forever, and this is a great way to feed your fish, but if we keep doing this, this run is going to deplete to where we will never be able to do it again. Right. But it's still legal now because we have fish. Right. Is it ethical to go to dip net at that point? Well, in theory, as Alaska's population increases, we are at that point. I would argue that it comes down to when you no longer have a sustainable harvest. So, for example... 
if they come back and they say, well, we're, we need at least a million fish up the river, right? Mm-hmm. And we've consistently not gotten our million fish. Yeah. Then, yeah, you start having other questions. Now, within that, I also think comes commercial. Because commercial folks also mm. yeah. play into this. Yeah. And that, man, comes to so much more. Because at that point now you're talking about sustainable, right? Sustainable harvest? Yeah, it's about. a whole sustainable harvest thing. And so, like, with it comes commercial. And you could argue commercial versus non-commercial interests and things like that. But if you're going to say that we can't fish something, like, take, for example, the Columbia River salmon, where okay. I come from, okay? Yeah. There's a no longer can you dip net that. Matter of fact, they restrict you down as hard or harder than we do up here for our kings. Like, we Was only it? allowed five. You're able to dip that down there for the at one point in time? You still can. If you're special enough. You look at me like I'm funny. So which does not translate I'm, over podcasts no, no, and radio I'm waves. Pretty sure I know what you're talking about, but so part of the native treaties <laughs> say that go. they can dip net and they set them up yeah. and they allow them to dip net. And they they don't really use dip nets like we do, they use a different style of dip net. Okay. It's a uh, just as successful, I think. Yeah. But it's one of those things where you just kinda go, Okay. Uh that's a problem in my mind because, again, why? Just because your ancestors at some point in time you trace them all the way back to being from hmm. wherever, we've got to be the only area that does it other than Canada. Hmm. You know, and so I just say if, if if it's really that bad where we can't dip net, then nobody should be able to dip net. Yeah. If we're not doing commercial thing, not just because, because then it becomes well, we fished here for the last three hundred years, right? Or I've. You know, or I've always commercial fished this. Yeah. Okay, well, at what point in time has your commercial fishing rights become so ingrained that now you can't just say, well, that needs to change? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) Commercial stuff is so, man, it's such a picky thing because on one side of it, that's a livelihood. Right? Right. But take, for example, livelihoods that have gone away. Oh, I'm not saying that it doesn't. That happens all the time. Uh, the second part of that is that is an economy boost for our state. It is for our particular state. We have enough fish that we don't have to worry about that. But, like, in the Oregon-Washington area, uh-huh. it's not a big enough that they can do that. Yeah. So at what point in time do you say, okay, enough is enough? It, even though it's an economy boost and we understand that, we have to say no. Mm. Look, I know that caffeine will give me a boost in the morning. <laughs> but at what yeah. point in time does it become bad for you? I mean, yeah. literally bad for your heart. Yeah. I mean, somewhere between two cups and... Fifteen. Fifteen, <laughs> you start getting arrhythmias. I mean... I, <laughs> Something bad happens. Right. So my point is, is yes, a little bit is okay, and maybe even a, a lot is not bad. Mm. But there's a point in there where... And it's... And no, caffeine, it's individual for each individual person. But, and but it's, it's one of those things of, okay, granted, we can argue all day long we want about... Is it you know? Is it okay to do commercial fishing? But then at some point in time, we all agree that there's too much. Now that's where the state comes in and sets controls and limits and things like yeah. that for us, which is good. But I mean, if if say for example, I got a fib tomorrow, right? Sure. And they say no more caffeine because mm-hmm. they tell you you're oh, just gonna stop caffeine. I would work on stopping caffeine. Now, I don't think I'd definitely go to cold turkey because I'm not that big of a man. Yeah. But I would start cutting back the amount of caffeine that I intake. Yeah. 
Well, but the other thing to consider when we're talking about this is that we're not just talking about, you know, your ability to catch fish. You're talking about a sustainable life on the planet. Right? Right. Because fish are part of creation. So we do need to... It's not just... (sighs) This goes beyond just, is there enough for me to get? Right. But it's, it's it's a matter of at what point in time do you say enough is enough and we have to back off. So, mm-hmm. for example, fishing in the Pacific Northwest, it's very hard for me to really get on board with going out and really whacking and stacking like we do around here because there's just not a lot to go around. Mm. Yeah. And I do believe that there is a balance. Yeah. And if there is an amount that you say, yeah, it's healthy, it's okay, Yeah. not a big deal, but there's also a level that you have to say, okay, we just need to wait. But the downside to that is like with fishing, Pacific Northwest, you've lost a lot of folks that can no longer really fish. And so there's a lot of this stuff where people go, I just don't get into it because you have to have a boat and you have to have a this and a that. Yeah. And it's true because there's just that few of them. Yeah. Well, I feel like anytime you say something that when you say we're doing this because this is the way we've always done it, then you're in a very dangerous spot. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would agree with that. Uh, you know, it's like I moved up to Alaska, and I'm allowed as a Alaskan to dip net. Mm-hmm. Now, if they took away dip netting tomorrow, would it change my view of Alaska? Sure, because it changes a big family outing, and we really enjoy it. Yeah. It, so, oh, yeah. So, surrounded around this activity. Sure. However, would it change what I necessarily do in terms of would I fish for other things? Sure. Mm-hmm. Would I do other things? Absolutely. But it would just change. It's not a have to do. It's like a, is it, does it become something to the point where if you had that taken away, does it like fundamentally affect everything? Does it like change your inner psyche and your being? That's when you also have to be careful because if you say, I can't go dip nutting or I can't go moose hunting, that changes too much for you. Are you too addicted to that? Are you too, you know what I mean? So Mm. it also kind of plays into that whole addiction because we all get addicted to fishing and I Mm. love my fishing. Right. I think that I mean, the people argue. that look at whatever this is as a, I have to do this, like, I have to go out and get this amount of something, otherwise it's not worth it. Uh-huh. Those are the people that that plays into more. Right. Because for right now, if they told me tomorrow, hey, we're going to shut down all moose hunting in, you, you know, in the areas you moose hunt, I'd go, okay. Right. That it, sucks, but it really sucks because I like moose hunting. But yeah, okay, I figured yeah, out something else to do. I can find, yeah, exactly. I can go out to the same area I'd moose hunt and camp for a week and be pretty much just as happy, right? Because I'm out doing the in the something area that else. I want to be, right? Doing something else. I'd be yeah. four wheeling, but anyways. Well, well, that's part of moose hunting, so yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Same you know, go out that. and gold panning or right, sure. You know, you know, trout fishing. Other, other those things. little things out there that are all part of that outdoorsman lifestyle that just rejuvenates m- me. And I understand that this is not this whoever the governing board that says you know it's not the fishing game department saying you can't hunt moose. Done. You're never going to do it again. There's a reason behind it. Right. I mean, I'm frustrated because I like to hunt moose, but I don't know. I think. Ethic, the ethics on this stuff are one of those things that 
But you brought up another one. Okay, so within outdoorsman, you yeah. just brought up one that you can we can go way into the rat, way into the weeds, way off the tracks here. Do it. Let's do it. Just stare gold down panning. the rabbit hole. What? Gold panning. Gold panning. So we know the detriments of gold panning. We can see it in places like California. Okay. That's I mean the Forty ers Mm-hmm. That's how they came up. That's what they did. They were after gold. This yeah. little flex of goodness. Mm-hmm. We have the same problem up here in terms of both on a commercial basis and on a non-commercial basis. Like, for example, Pebble Mine. Sure. A lot of people argue that we shouldn't have Pebble Mine because the same thing, some of the same problems, it's just multiplied because of the size of the mine. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about gold penny we're not going to stay away from the pebble mine piece sure because that's a whole can of worms that and i don't i haven't really researched that enough to be of a sound i couldn't soundly put out my opinion per se one way or the other i'm yeah i'm just kind of there with it sure i'm relying upon those that are in the know to make better decisions than i would yeah but like personally going gold panning out at you know croto creek sure which i know leads to deshka which has a severe limit on the king salmon because there's not enough kings coming back. Okay. Do I gold pan on Credo Creek, which I know is a very productive area to do it. Out there by Petersville, that's yeah, Credo yeah, Creek. Yeah, yeah, uh, Because I'm throwing more silt in the water, I'm throwing more garbage in there that makes it harder for the fish to survive. Versus my ability to just go out and have fun. And I love to fish for kings, so it's a, it's a, it's, you know what I mean? (laughs) I would have to do, uh, like I said, like you said earlier with the Pebble Mine thing, I'd have to do some research, but in my immediate head, like the first knee-jerk reaction is, if me and a little teeny bucket and a little gold pan and a little shovel are causing enough silt, even if I do it every weekend, Right. Or there's four people up there doing it every weekend. Right. On average, there's four people a yeah. weekend. Let's just say four people a weekend. A person a day. person a day for all summer. Yeah. One person a day all summer that goes up there. If that sediment is not being cleared out of that creek by the time it hits the Deshka, I feel like... <laughs> there's other problems. There's something else going on there. Because, man, right, I mean... Because those salmon come all the way up to where the gold painting goes on at. True, and they use those gravel bars to, to uh, you know, breed and leave their eggs in. Now that's a different thing. Now, if it is a active salmon spawning ground, that's a totally different deal. So places where they do, like, so I have been right where they've seen people gold painting. Yep, gone up and over the Croto Creek Bridge right there at the Roadhouse. Yeah, and I have seen kings like right off there go. Oh, there's a king. There's yeah. a king. There's a king. I mean, they're nice and bright red, so they're easy to it's spot. Easy, yeah, but there's guys panning on the edge of the, you know, right there. Sure. Now, it is legal for them to pan right there. Is that a active spawning ground, or are those fish going somewhere else? Either they would have to already been spawned out and continue upstream for some reason, or they're still heading towards they're, the spawning. They're pushing up. Yeah. I feel like, and that's something that our, I, I do, <laughs> that's something I do believe the fishing game department is very good at keeping an eye on those things, mm-hmm. and if this is an active salmon ground... Yeah, they do try and keep it yeah. to a minimum. The, it, it, yeah. Um, the other thing is with that is I don't think that where people are gold panning, you're not going to be gold panning in the middle of the river. No, it's usually along the edge. Yeah, you're right along the edges, right where the, the 
the water's washing away the, the, the edge. I don't think that that is inhibiting the salmon spawning beds. The, the other advantage that we have up here in Alaska mm-hmm. is that there just isn't that many people. So when we talk about people that, you know, if you go gold panning for a day, they're just not kicking up with that much salt. No, it's not like you're having this giant dredge and, right. you know, you're not putting the, the sluices out and all these things that are disturbing a lot it's of ground. Not, yeah, it's not like you're moving yards and yards. No. If you move a yard of material you're a day. Some, yeah, that's a lot of... If you... With you, a shovel, and a bucket, you do a whole yard of material. You've dude. done something. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think in that regards that is a something... And I could be wrong. I feel like with the, in respects to gold mining that... One person with a pan going out having fun for an afternoon is not a detriment, is not actually affecting. I don't see, personally, I don't see an ethical don't do that. Okay. Unless you're walking out. Now, if you're going to go out with your pan, you're going to go right out to where the salmon are spawning and stick your shovel in and dig up a giant. Yeah, that's different. Right. <laughs> there you're you're doing something that's... Yeah, just because you can gold mine in that creek does not mean you should be doing that. Right. So, yeah. Anyway, well, yeah. Ethics. I think I think this is one of those discussions that man, we could go on for we a long time, for hours and hours on this. Because, one. but I think having a, a true respect for wildlife, for this uh, this great state we live in, and treating it with the respect it deserves. Right. Just being mindful. I mean, that's, being, that's yeah. ninety. 95% of all ethics is just being mindful. Yep. That'll get you 95% of the way there. Sure. So, anyway, um, yeah, thanks for hanging with us. For anyone of you guys who are still listening out there, uh, <laughs> right after our babbling. Um, hit us up on social media, uh, Facebook, uh, Instagram, Outdoorsman, the Outdoorsman Podcast. Uh, we got uh, email, all those different things. And lastly, if uh, please go to any platform you're listening to this on and uh, give us a, a five-star rating, uh, like us. And uh, if you want to leave a review, really don't care what you say. You can even bash us on the review. Just leave us the five stars. It works works for us. Helps us get this podcast out there. So That's where half the good stuff comes from right yep. there is the, so. is the reviews. Even if they're five-star or they're bad, like, at least we have something to say. Right. We can talk to our <laughs> yeah. critics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell them how we... Tell them we really feel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, until next time. All right.